Let us pray. So, Father, we ask that you would indeed send your Holy Spirit among us to breathe over us, to renew and to strengthen, and to purify and upbuild us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated, everyone. Good morning. So good to see all of you. And it's been very clear today that um, lots of folks are squeezing in that last little bit of vacation before school starts back up. And um, summer is technically over, and it was not over till September 21st. But um, I think we certainly mentally shift gears with the return to school, and at least by Labor Day weekend at the very latest. Um, we're going to dive right in this morning, continuing our study of the Beatitudes from Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 5. So turn to Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 5, if you would, focusing on verse 6 today. And um, there are Bibles under the pews. Some of you have Bibles with you, and there are also um, many of you that have Scripture on your electronic devices. And um, we are going to be adding more Bibles under the pews so that we have more of those available. That's a conversation we had in the past week or two, as well as more prayer books, um, especially in the event that we have a power outage or something and we have to shift to doing everything straight from the prayer book. We'll have everything set up and we can just keep on rolling without any, any glitches. Um, as I begin my sermon today focusing on Matthew 5, verse 6. I just want to give a qualifier. Uh, this sermon is a redo to some extent, even though I've made some modifications. I have preached this sermon here before on this particular verse. However, we're in this study of the Beatitudes, taking each Beatitude one week at a time, and it would be wholly inappropriate and insufficient to skip Matthew 5, verse 6. And so um, I just want to say that ahead of time in case you hear anything that is familiar, although I doubt it because our memories aren't that long anyway. So, uh, um, but Matthew 5, 6 says this, the words of Jesus, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Righteousness. I suspect that when you hear the word righteousness like me, a whole range of pictures and ideas come to mind some accurate and, and, quite frankly, some not so accurate. Righteousness can wrongly bring to mind some form of prudishness or being narrow-minded or harsh or pictures of vehement legalism. Righteousness is a word which we read frequently in Scripture, but one which we may not think about a whole lot. Or as we think about it, which has unscriptural and incorrect connotations in our minds. I think far often when you or I think of righteousness, works or trying to be a good person comes to mind. We think of a list of do's and don'ts. You or I think of what we each need to do. But biblical righteousness is actually much more about being than about doing. Scripture is accurate, actually quite clear that apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have no righteousness of our own. Romans 3.10 reminds us, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. And righteousness in Scripture is not simply a matter of our actions or outward behaviors. Hear this. Outward behaviors conforming to a set of standards or laws. And this is consistent throughout all of Scripture, both the Old and the New Testament. 
Indeed, when the Bible speaks of righteousness, it speaks of righteousness in terms of relationship. Righteousness is a way of being and of actions and behaviors which demonstrate that through God's initiative, you or I have entered into a living, redemptive relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Because true biblical righteousness comes from God. It is not native to you and me. And hear this especially. Ultimately, righteousness is a way of being or doing that is the outworking of the character of God in us. In other words, as God works in us and molds and shapes us, we are conformed more and more to the image and the character and the righteousness of God through his son, Jesus Christ. And that works from the inside out. In other words, growing in Christ's character, growing in Christ's likeness leads to both inward first and then outward righteousness. In terms of God's dealing with each of us who trust him, he demonstrates his righteousness, his own righteousness, by offering redemption and salvation to us through a living relationship with him. Hear what the prophet Isaiah said. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. Hear that again. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. And the Lord, all the offspring of Israel, shall be justified and shall glory. In Psalm 103, verses 6 through 7, we read, The Lord works righteousness and justice, excuse me, righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. For those who have trusted God alone for salvation, who have entered into this unique and wonderful relationship with him, to us, he gives his righteousness. That is an amazing thing to think of. Not our own, because we have none. He gives us his righteousness and he makes it ours through him. Specifically, he does that through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's really where we must begin today before we get to the heart of what Jesus says in terms of application in Matthew 5, 6. Because the righteousness we have, again, is not native to us. It is God's gift of grace, his unmerited favor. favor. And this righteousness only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's my first point today, righteousness through Christ. Again, we see this truth both in the Old and the New Testaments. In the Old Testament, I think of Abraham, where in Genesis 15, 6, it says, and he believed the Lord, referring to Abraham, and he counted it to him as righteousness. The New Testament tells us a great deal regarding this wonderful gift of God as well. Romans 1.17 reminds us, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Romans chapter 3, continuing a little further on, says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And then in Philippians chapter 3, St. Paul, recounting his own story, writes this. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We, brothers and sisters, are righteous because of and through Jesus Christ and only because of and through him. It is his righteousness that we experience as a reality in our lives through faith in Jesus. Now, I want to do a brief diversion here um, because I think it's something important to understand. Um, some of the reformers in the 16th century, and I say this with all humility, advocated the idea of forensic justification being made right by God, forensic meaning legally, as a legal declaration, which is true, but they stopped there. In part, in sometimes as a response to other abuses in the broader church world or at the time that have, were, they were trying to address. But hear me, being justified, being made right in God, the righteousness that Christ gives us is not just a legal declaration, Justification is not only something God declares, but also something God does, and he does it in us. His divine life infuses us and makes us right with a justice that both redeems and heals and transforms. So the second aspect or dimension of God's righteousness is to be experienced, I believe, scripturally by us as Christians as well. It is God's design for us. And this righteousness is a practical walking, living, and growing in biblical and godly righteousness. It's real, it's actual, it's transformative, not just a legal declaration in the spiritual realm. And it's made a possibility through Jesus. But it must also, hear me, it must also be lived out. It must be sought. It must be pursued. And as God continues, work, it continues his work in us, it must be desired by us as Christians. As Jesus says here in Matthew 5, 6, we must hunger for God's righteousness. And it is this hungering, this, this, this aspect of God's righteousness, which I believe Jesus is specifically speaking of here in Matthew 5, 6. Again, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When we come to Christ as Savior, he puts this kind of hunger in us. And so my question for each of us today, beginning with me, is are you hungry? Am I hungry? And what are we hungry for? C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity writes this. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. I think when we think of 
real lived righteousness and we think about all of these things, we do two things and we land in the middle where we should be kind of on the two poles. First, we sell short our own brokenness and depravity and fallenness apart from Christ, which we can never rectify in any way on our own. But on the other hand, we also, I think far too often, even as the people of God, sell short and minimize God's power to heal and God's power to deliver and God's power to transform and set free. We hear a great deal of talk in Christian circles these days and the promotion of products marketed to Christians, products about books and studies and different sorts of products about spiritual maturity, identity in Christ, purpose, ministry passions, spiritual gifts, power, effective witnessing skills, happiness, and I could go on and on. And quite frankly, there are a lot of really good biblical godly resources out there. Some really good books and resources available to us. Along with, hear me, some real junk as well. Junk that has more to do with American consumerism than it does anything related to biblical Christianity. But what, we're, what we rarely read or hear about in resources are ones designed specifically to help us to grow in godly righteousness, in God's transforming grace. Sometimes that's not all as, as popular as happiness or purpose. And yet all of these things legitimately, if they're, if they're biblical, are rooted in the righteousness of Christ. A very prominent pastor in the United States um, who's also on television and gets a lot of press. And I, I'm not going to name names because all of you know I don't name names if I'm saying something critical. Um, so if you ask me, I'm going to tell you, go figure it out for yourself um, on the internet. But I did fact check all this. This very prominent pastor talking about coming to Christ says this, following Jesus doesn't change you into something else. It reveals who you've been all along. Well, in the terms that he's saying, that is, that's heretical. That is completely false. Oh, it shows us who we've been all along, sinners desperately in the need of a redeemer. But what he's talking about here has a lot more to do with the human potential movement or pop psychology than it does anything related to biblical Christianity. I think D.A. Carson in his book on the Beatitudes gets it a lot more right where he says people chase from preacher to preacher and conference to conference seeking some vague blessing from on high. They hunger for spiritual experience. They first thirst for the conscience of God. But then he asks, how many hunger and thirst for righteousness? Godly righteousness is more basic and more essential than any of these other things. Spiritual maturity, identity in Christ, purpose, ministry passions, spiritual gifts, power, effective witnessing skills, etc. But hear this. Righteousness, growing in godly righteousness in a reality is the wellspring from which real, genuine, and healthy expressions of all of these things flow. If you want to grow in spiritual maturity, you've got to be growing by God's grace in godly righteousness. If you want to understand your identity in Christ and your purpose in Christ, you need to be, we need to be growing in righteousness. If you want to grow and be used in spiritual gifts, we need to be growing in godly righteousness. 
you want power in your life, godly power, we need to be growing in righteousness. You can never separate biblical power, godly power, from biblical holiness, from biblical righteousness. They go hand in hand and they equate. They closely relate. You see, hungry and thirsting for righteousness is not wanting to be a little bit better than we are. It's not discovering who we've been all along. And it's not an option. Biblical righteousness must be, hear me friends, and I'm preaching to myself today too, as I do always. It must be our burning desire and passion as Christians, as God's people. Not out of law or some legalistic responsibility, but out of love for the one who has redeemed us and is setting us free and continues to transform our lives. Jesus tells us here in Matthew 5, 6, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That means that this hunger and thirst is as important to our spiritual lives as food and drink are to the health of our physical lives. They are essential. Is that true for you and me? Without food and drink, we die. So what are we hungry for? There is no passive longing for something here. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness must be, as God continues to work in us, an active desire for each of us. And in its essence, it is hungering and thirsting for our lives to be more fully conformed to God's will. For us to be more fully conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Is that your desire? Is that the all-consuming passion of our lives? To be and to, to do and to be further, further conformed to God's will, even if it means taking the road less traveled, the path that is more difficult in life from the temporal lens? Even if it means walking and being different than the world around us? Sometimes even being different than Christian pop culture around us. Even when it means it is difficult or awkward. For any of us, if this is not the case, then we are not hungering and thirsting for righteousness in the way God has designed and saved and called us to. So if godly righteousness and hungering and thirsting for more of that is God's design for us, and it clearly is based on the testimony of Scripture, then what can help us to both grow in our hunger and our thirst? There are two specific things I want to mention this morning as we conclude, even though there are others as well. One, hungering for God's word, God's truth. If we desire to live a consistent pattern of life in conformity with God's will, then we must begin with a hunger and desire for God's word, the Bible. Because there is no other place where God's will is so clearly set forth. We need to delight in God's word. Psalm 40 reminds us, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Continuing in Psalm 119, a verse familiar to so many of us, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
And then a little further along in Psalm 119, Behold, I long for your precepts. In your, in your righteousness, give me life. If we want to understand and grow in God's righteousness, we need to read the manual. We need to dwell on it. We need to meditate on it. As Thomas Cranmer said, we need to inwardly digest it. We need to allow God's word to soak into us and permeate the very core of our being. I like to do a lot of grilling of meats and that sort of thing. And Tammy would say, with Scott Cook, it's always all about the meat. Sorry, you vegetarians out there. Um, but it goes with vegetables too. If you really want something to be infused with particular flavors, you have to marinate it for a while, don't you? You have to let it soak. You have to let it, and the longer you let it within reason, the longer you let that vegetable or that meat um, sit in that marinade, the more that flavor permeates it through and through. That's what we need to allow God's word to do. There's a spiritual discipline, a practice that many have practiced for centuries in the church called Lectio Divina, where you take one verse of scripture or sometimes just one phrase in a verse of scripture and you sit and you reflect on it and you meditate on it for 10, 15 minutes, maybe for a half hour, maybe for several hours and you allow God to speak to you all about the depth of the truth of that scripture or that phrase of scripture and you allow it to permeate your mind and your spirit and get deep down and into, into our very, the depths of our being. That's what we need to do. Hungry and thirsting for righteousness is being conformed to God's will and the image of Jesus Christ. And we do that by spending time with God in his presence, by spending time in God's word. And the Book of Common Prayer can help us immensely with that as well. I, I, the collect of the day today, um, which I didn't plan, the collects are assigned for every Sunday of the year, but how it fits with what we were talking about today. Almighty God, give us the increase of faith, hope, and love, and that we may obtain what you have promised. Make us love what you command through Jesus Christ our Lord. And second and finally, or my third point, but second of these, we need to hunger for God's priorities. If we are going to hunger and thirst for righteousness to the point of being filled, it means hungering and thirsting for God's priorities in our lives. There's a very simple, singular question that should and can indeed guide every aspect of our lives. And if we ask this question, seeking God will never go wrong. When confronted with a choice, confronted with a decision, is this going to help me to draw closer to God and be conformed to his will or not? You cannot go wrong asking that question. Is this going to help me to draw closer to God and be conformed to his will or not? In Romans chapter 6, St. Paul writes, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. 
we don't have to be bound to the things of this world. We can be instruments in God's hands, instruments of godly righteousness. The world we live in and Satan, the enemy of our souls, both call to us, trying to entice all of us, every single one of us, and make us hungry for things of this world that leave us hollow, broken, and empty. Things that stir ungodly hungers in us that can never be filled or satisfied because they are false. Do you know that the things the world and Satan put before us and, and, and market to us in a sense, I'm not talking about marketing in the media necessarily, although that counts, but, but who they bring to our attention that, that create desires in us, those things will never fill or satisfy what they claim to do because they are false. Brothers and sisters, we are not created for those things. We are not redeemed for those things, but we are redeemed from these things, and we are redeemed for God and for the things of his kingdom. The things of this world, if we yield to them, will consume us, they will destroy us, and they will cause us to miss God's salvation. What kind of things am I talking about? I'm not going to give a detailed list, but, but you, you know, you name it for yourself, the things that are, are tempting to you. But power and lust, lustly flesh and desire for more of the stuff of this world, desire for money, desire for worldly power, desire for making a name for ourselves in this world, you name it. We give ourselves to those things. They simply leave us more empty, starving, and dying of thirst. It's like giving a person who's dying of thirst water filled with salt. Because they can never substitute for the real thing, the life and the freedom and the transformation that comes through Jesus Christ. In contrast to the world and the enemy of our souls and all of their deceptions, Jesus fills and satisfies. Did you hear that? Jesus fills and satisfies. Even as Jesus said in John 4, 13 through 14, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The wonder of all of this, the more we hunger and thirst for God, for his righteousness, the more we hunger and thirst for being conformed to the image of Jesus, the more God fills us. And there's no limit to how much God fills us. It's not finite, it's infinite. And the more he fills us with his character and forms us in his image, the more we are empowered, brothers and sisters, to walk in and continue to be conformed to his will. And the more satisfied, truly satisfied we are. That's God's desire. That's God's plan and God's will. If it wasn't so, Jesus would not have said it was. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let us pray. Father, how incredibly grateful we are 
for your amazing grace, for your transforming power. Lord, so often we, we sell short the, your power to transform a human life, to make all things new. We don't lay hold of the promise of Jesus as we should, that the old has gone and the new has come if we are new creations in Christ. So, Father, I ask today that you would help us to fix our eyes on you and to hunger and thirst for righteousness, your righteousness, and to throw our arms open, either for the first time or afresh, for every one of us this day, to you, inviting you to conform us to the image of your son Jesus to do your good and gracious work in us by the power and the inworking of your spirit, not because of us, but because of what you are more than willing to do in us according to your promises in Christ Jesus. So Lord, set us free from being bound to the things of this world. Set us free from being enticed by those things that would hold us back and keep us from truly experiencing the reality of your lived righteousness in our lives. Instead, make us that salt, that savor to the world that can only be satisfied through Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.